Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. I want us to open our Bibles to Mark chapter 12. How many of you brought your Bible tonight? Amen? Hold it up. Let's go. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. This is the most important thing that we have in this day and age that we live in. Amen? This is life to our souls, amen? This is bread for our soul, amen? So I encourage you to open your Bible every day, read the Word of God every single day. But let's get into the Word tonight. Mark chapter 12, I'll let you, give you a second to find that. Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. It'll be up on the screen tonight. This has been the passage of Scripture that we've been looking at for the uh, last several weeks. Tonight will be the fifth part on this message that we're looking at, but... The Bible says in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, it says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Amen. Let's pray for the word of God tonight. Lord, we just come before you tonight and Holy Spirit, we ask that your, your word would just speak to us in a powerful way, God. Father, I pray that every heart is attentive, God, every ear is open, God, every mind is focused, God. Lord, let nothing distract us in this moment, Father, because I believe right now, God, many, many seeds, Father, God, are going to be planted in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Let us receive what you have from, for us from your word tonight. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we see in this passage of Scripture, we've looked at, at, at four things, and tonight we're going to look at the fifth one. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And then what does it say? And with all of your strength. With all of your strength. And so that word strength that the, that the Lord Jesus is using in this passage of Scripture is a little bit different. This is not just like your, your normal, you know, strength like we think of it, you know, in terms of like weightlifting or, or you know, things like that. But the original Hebrew is from the word uh, the root word miod, which is translated as greatly, exceedingly, and diligently. I'll say that one more time. This word that is strength, you know, for us in English is, is, is our reading. The original Hebrew word miod means greatly, exceedingly, and diligently. The word strength is also translated into English as the word might, okay, which is the effort and the passion with which we love God. It's the effort and the passion with which you love God. So I want us to think about this tonight. You see, where the heart and the soul and the mind, they direct how we feel and what we do, strength or might in this passage is the force that determines the extent of which we do it. Does that make sense? The strength or might that we draw from the Lord, it, it, it determines the extent in which we pursue God. Amen. Uh, for those of you who have ever participated in, in sports, how many of you have ever played a sport in your life? Raise your hand. Uh, but, you know, if, even if you didn't play sport, you were probably forced to do like PE, right? And you were automatically enlisted in the dodgeball team. You know, but uh, how many of you remember when you played sports, you know, there's a difference between participating and giving all of your effort. Yes? For those of you that know, you know a little bit about sports or competition, you, know, you, you can see the difference between a person that's simply just in the game and a person that is giving 
all of themselves while they're, while they're in the match or on the court or on the field. Amen? They're giving a maximum effort and time and they're giving a dedication that goes farther than just playing in the game itself. Because how many of you know the people that, you know, train for the Olympics? Do you know, church, that there's men and women all around the world right now, they're training four years and even a lifetime, but four years between each Olympic, Olympic Games for a 10-second race. Think about that. Now, for you and me to run 100 meters, it might take us longer than 10 seconds, but for them, you know, they run it in like nine-something. But they're training day in and day out. They're, they're giving maximum effort. They wake up. They don't put anything in their body that could hinder them from succeed, succeeding in that race. They don't train or do anything with their life. They don't handle their life flippantly or, or foolishly. But they do so with very great focus and intent. They give maximum effort. So that on that day when they have to compete, when they have to race or they have to play their sport, they give everything that they have. You've heard, you know, sports people coin the phrase, you know, they lay it all on the line. They give it all. They lay it all on the line. You know, they're exhausted and sometimes they win and sometimes they don't win. But at the end of the day, they've given everything that they had. Lay it all out on the court. Lay it all out on the field. And this is, you know, why for those of us who like competition... It's not really acceptable to simply just see somebody participate and not give full effort. Amen. For those of you that are an athlete, you know, you may resonate with that a little bit. You know, we, we like to, in 2023, give participation trophies out like they're candy. It's like, oh, he did fine. She did fine. They, they're just happy to be on the team. Well, guess what? Somebody else on the team actually wants to win. Right. Amen. You know, any competitors in here? I know you. I know some of you. Right. You know, you, you like competition. There was this, uh, you know, famous coach from the team that I like that said this. He said, if winning isn't everything, then why do they keep score? At the end of the day, that's why you're competing. It's not, you know, like you go to Sonic and play volleyball and bounce the ball around and nobody really cares what the score is at the end of the day. There's a purpose and a reason behind it, right? Because somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. And so with a competitive person, you know, things like participation trophies don't sit well because they can see the difference between somebody giving their all and somebody giving their minimum. If you've ever played a team sport, the most frustrating thing is when you're giving your all and the other guy's just giving the bare minimum, Right? You see that guy, and he's not, he's not, you know, trying as hard. He's not diving for the ball, and you got dirt all over you. You're giving everything that you have, every play, but somebody else is giving the minimum. And I'm tying all this in. I have a point that I'm getting to, and this pertains to our relationship with God. Think about this just for a second. This pertains to our relationship with God and our loving, with, loving God with all of our strength. How many of you know that God deserves the best of our praise? Amen. That God deserves the best of our service. That God deserves the very best that we have to offer him. Amen. God does not deserve our leftovers. God does, does not deserve our minimum effort. God deserves the maximum effort in serving him well so that we can love him well. 
If God, we believe, is so great and so awesome and so vast, and we run out of words to describe how good God really is, then guess what? In our life and in our love for Him and in our service to Him, we should give Him everything that we have to the point of exhaustion. To the point of saying, God, I have nothing else to give you. Like like Paul said, I am like a drink that's been poured out. I have nothing left. You see, when you tip over a drink, guess what? Every drop is eventually going to roll out. Sometimes we're a little bit, you know, casual with our, with our service to God. And we say, God, here's just a little, that, that's it. I'm just going to give you just a little bit, God. I'm not going to give you everything that I have. I'm not going to pour it all out. Or God, when I get my offering, God, you know, it's just, you know, I got a couple fives and I got a couple ones and I got a 20 or maybe a hundred, God, but you know, here's, here's three bucks. Do you understand where I'm going with this? There's a difference between giving the minimum and giving what we are able to give the Lord. The Bible says in Psalms 48 and verse one, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. In the city of our God, his holy mountain. It says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Sometimes we give God the minimum of who we are when he's given us the best that he ever had. I don't know about you, but that convicts my soul. And I'm so glad that they, we actually have a really good crowd in here tonight. For a Wednesday night, this is beautiful to see all of your faces. So I know the Lord has something for us special tonight. But oftentimes we're quick to be those who do just the least required instead of being those who do everything like it's for the Lord. To do everything as for the Lord. When Jesus said that we were to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and all of our strength. He said these words because that word, like I said, it means greatly, exceedingly, and diligently the effort and passion with which we love God. God sees your effort, your, your, your service, your love, your worship. He sees all of these things as important, church. A lot of times I, I encounter people, you know, on a day-to-day basis and, and you know, you know maybe be witnessing to them and, and they'll say, well, I have a relationship with God. I got my own relationship with God. I, I never go to church. I never give. I never do this. I never do that. But I, I have a relationship with God. And anytime I hear a person say something like that, you know, basically what they're saying is, well, you can't judge me because you don't know when I talk to God or when I don't talk to God. Or, you know, you don't know, you know, how, how much time I spend with the Lord and this and that. But you know what? I can tell simply by seeing the fruit of their life that if they say they belong to God and if they say they have a relationship with God, then the fruit and the evidence of spending time with Jesus would be evident in their life. I shouldn't have to ask him, do you go to church? That should be the very least, the bare minimum of what we could offer God. Because guess what? We only have church a couple days out of the week that we gather. Amen? But you should be spending time with Jesus every day. 
See, this is just a, a few moments that we're going to spend together, 45-minute message, you know, that we'll have, you know, together to listen to the Word of God together. But the Lord is, is looking at your life in every facet of your being, day in and day out. He's looking at how much you love Him. He's looking at how much you are willing to give Him everything that you have. And so the effort in with which you seek the Lord, it matters, church. Let me prove it to you tonight. He said that he would reward those who seek him. Yes or no? Hang on a second. No, that's not what the scripture says. The Bible says that he would reward those who diligently and earnestly seek him. Yeah, there's a difference. Because I can simply say, well, I came to church on a Wednesday night, so therefore I'm seeking God. But there's a difference. The reward comes when you've done it diligently. Diligently means that you've paid attention to the details. You've taken time every morning. That you don't miss a moment with Jesus. That you don't miss a prayer opportunity to get with the Lord. You don't miss a moment to fellowship and commune with Him and His Word. You're faithful. You're diligent in what it is that you're offering to the Lord. You're earnest about it. Earnest means honesty. It means that you don't just do it while you're in the house of God going like, oh, here comes the pastor. Let me worship. Here comes the brother, sister. Oh, let me really act like I'm into it right now. No, there's an honesty that is upon your life that you know that he goes with you wherever you go. You know that he sees the times that you spend with him in prayer behind closed doors when nobody else sees. He knows the times that you pour out your heart before him, crying and weeping and, and pleading and spending moments with him that nobody else knows about. He knows of them or he doesn't know because you've never been with him. He's looking for those who would diligently and earnestly seek after him. Jeremiah 29 and 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. See, to be find the Lord, to encounter the Lord, to, to see him, to behold him, it happens when there's a genuine desire, when we go beyond just the minimum effort. That verse that I quoted earlier in, in, in uh, Hebrews 11 and 6, it says, and without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That he rewards those that earnestly seek him. You see, the condition with which we seek him matters to him because guess what? Only he knows how much you really do. Amen. It matters to him. It matters very much to him. He knows all the times when he's woken you up early to spend time with him and you chose to fall back asleep. He knows all the times when he woke you up, you know, early in the morning and you just got on your phone and checked your email. See, he knows the opportunities, church, that he's given as place and moment for invitation, for conversation and communion with him. He knows your day. There's a saying that says, while the cat's away, the mice will play. And a lot of times they use that saying when, when the boss is not, you know, uh, in the office 
the workers and the employees, you know, they kind of loaf around, right? Loafing around means they're just kind of, you know, just, just doing the bare minimum. And then when the boss walks in, everybody acts like they're doing something. Just start typing. What are you doing? Um, well, I was, uh, you know, uh, you know. Um, and it's funny because I feel like, you know, like the scripture says, the Bible calls the Lord, you know, it, you know, he talks about the, those who he left to tend the vineyard, you know, that, that God would be, you know, that one that would come back to see how well we've managed what he gave as our possession. And it's like while we're in this waiting uh, for, for the return of Jesus to, to split the eastern sky and to rapture us, the Lord is actually looking at what we're doing with this time. We might be waiting saying, you know what, I, I trust in you, Jesus, I'm waiting for you. But he's actually looking with what we are doing with our time while we're here on this earth. He's very attentive to all of it. He's looking at our life. He's looking. And when he's asking for the strength behind our seeking, the Lord is, is always worthy of more than we're able to give him. The passion with which you worship Jesus matters. Did you know that? Sometimes we like to categorize ourselves and say, you know what? Well, I'm not a very loud person. Or I'm not a very expressive person. Sometimes people that say, well, I'm not very outgoing, so therefore, you know, leave the witnessing and the outreach and the evangelism to somebody else. But is that what Matthew chapter 28 teaches us to do? No, absolutely not. It says, therefore, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Guess what? He didn't say, if you feel like it, he didn't say, if you're outgoing, he didn't say, if you're really good at talking in groups of people, in front of groups of people, he didn't say any of those things. He gave us a command. Amen? And the passion with which you worship the Lord, it matters. Because how many of you know that worship is a very personal thing? Amen? It's something that's personal between you and the Lord. But guess what? The Lord knows the strength that he's provided for your life. The Lord knows the things that he's done in your life. And so he is the only one that is able to measure the extent of which you offer him your worship from. He knows, oh man, I've, I've done this and this and this and this and, and this is what they're offering me. It would be for those in the Israelites that were offering the Lord, you know, the, the lame calves and, and, the, and the animals that were, you know, to be presented as sacrifice. It angered the Lord because the Lord was like, really? You had all of these prized calves. You had all of these rams. You had everything that, that you could have given me, but you chose to give me the leftover. You chose to give me the one, ah, well, we don't really need that one here. Let's give it away. The worship that we offer the Lord, it matters because the Lord sees it. Jesus was once invited into a home of a Pharisee for dinner. And the Bible says that he reclined back in the chair and he, he began to get comfortable in the, in the house of this Pharisee. And there was this woman who had a history of prostituting her body. And she came and she bowed down before Jesus. And she comes with this jar of perfume, this expensive perfume that was known to be worth a, an entire year's salary of that day. 
And she knew in her heart that Jesus could forgive her many sins. And because she knew that she began to weep in his presence. She began to weep because she knew what it was that she had done with her life. She knew how many times she had failed him. She knew how many times she had regressed. How many times she had sinned against God. And so she begins to weep. And so much so that her tears fall on the feet of Jesus. That she then uses her own hair to dry her tears from his feet. And in this moment of shame, in this moment of, of guilt, she's wiping, you know, the feet of Jesus with her hair. She begins to kiss his feet. And then she begins to anoint his feet with the precious oil from her jar. And immediately there was a Pharisee that saw this and he said to himself, if Jesus was really a prophet, that he would know who this woman is and the kind of sinner that she is, and he wouldn't even allow her to touch him. And guess what Jesus does next? He answers this man's question without even him having heard it. Luke chapter 7 and verse 40 says this, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. But neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. He said, you've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He said, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time that I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. He said, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Verse 47 says, so therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. And as her great love has shown, he says this, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus is the only one who knows the depth of our sins against him. Jesus is the only one who is qualified to examine and judge our worship and our passion for loving him. He is the only one that is able to do this. And, and you know, when I read this story and I was praying over this message tonight, the Lord, you know, brought me to this thought-provoking question. And the question that I have is this. Is are we loving him according to the greatness of what he has forgiven in us? Are we worshiping him according to what he has forgiven us from? Is our service to God exemplary or is it the minimum that we can offer to God? You see, in front of people, do we look like we're giving God our best when behind closed doors we're not giving him anything at all? It's a question that we have to ask ourselves tonight. It's a question that we have to use to examine our heart before the Lord. Before the one who knows everything about our life. 
Ever since my girls were, were, you know, little and they could understand just, you know, things that I would teach them and want them to, to learn, I've always told them about giving their best. You know, as a parent, you know, you teach your children, you teach them to give their best. You teach them. I've taught my, my daughter since day one. Everything that we have, babies, has been given to us by the Lord. House, clothes, food, car, dog, you name it. It's all been given to us by the Lord. And the way that we manage those things and the way that we take care of those things and the way that we treat those things that have been given to us, you know, even though they're all temporal things, the way we manage that possession that God has given to us shows a lot about how much we love God. Amen. It shows a lot about how much you value what it is that he has done for your life. Amen. And so I've always taught them about giving their best, trying their hardest, whether it be in their academics, which, by the way, I've got two straight A students. Praise God. And guess what? They both got 100 in Bible. Let's go. Whether it be academics, sports, activities, worshiping the Lord or cleaning the house, everything that we do, we do it as unto the Lord. Everything we do it with that model of excellence that Jesus modeled for us. Because guess what? Our all-seeing, our all-knowing God knows when we give him our best. He knows when you give him your very best or you simply just give him what might look impressive to other people. Mark chapter 12 and verse 41 says this. Oh man, this is going to make us sweat tonight. I love this story. Mark 12 and 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. I'm going to stop right there. Right now we had these two wonderful people standing right here. And just imagine with me for a second, I'll just go down here to illustrate this because we're all visual learners. The temple treasury is there, Jesus is here. And he's watching each and every offering. Everything that's being placed. Is he looking at dollars and cents and amount? Is he looking at all of those things? Or is he looking at what it is that is coming from their heart? The Bible says many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and she put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Verse 43 says, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything and all that she had to live on. She put in everything that she was able to do. Now, I don't know about you, but this should bring us great conviction the next time we have to the opportunity to give an offering. Yes? This should convict our heart just a little bit and move us to know that Jesus sits opposite of you and he's looking at what you place in his hands. He's looking at the ability that you have to release what it is that he has given you. Think about that. He put it in your hand, but you're like, I don't know if I can put it back in yours, God. 
If we really believed that everything that we have has been given to us by the Lord and because of the Lord, then it would be real easy to release everything that he's given us. But the temptation that's always placed in our heart and in our life is to think that somehow we can do better with what we keep in our hand than what, with what we could give to God and let him manage the rest in our life. That is the issue. The issue that the word presents in that moment is the ability of your heart to let go of everything that God has given you to trust that he will provide for your life. Think about that just for a moment. Because the Lord knows what you withhold or what you trust him with. But an excellent savior that he is, he is the only one, church, that could demand such effort, such passion, and everything that we have and all from us. Amen? He is the only one. You see, the Lord knows when we give him our first fruit or we simply just give him the leftovers. He knows when we give from a place of wealth or from a place of poverty. He knows when we've given him the best of our time. He sees when we get lazy in our service to him. But can I remind you that everything that we do in him and for him should be to bring him glory. Amen? It should always be to bring him glory and never disappointment or it should never displease the Lord in any way. How many of you know that when you give somebody your yes, you've given it first to God because God is the record keeper of all the promises and commitments that we make? Yes. Somebody say amen tonight. When you say, oh, you know what? I'm going to sign up to serve in this ministry. Guess what? You didn't say yes to the pastor. You didn't say yes to the church. You didn't say yes to the ministry. You first said yes to God. And guess what? Your yes is either going to be valuable or it's going to just go down the tube with your testimony when you prove to be an individual that cannot keep your yes. When we give somebody our yes to serve, it should be to fulfill the commitment that we've made because we've first committed to the Lord. How many of you have ever been asked by somebody to pray for them? Yes? Probably most of us have at one time or another. But how many, of you, how many of us actually right then and there prayed for them or, or behind closed doors prayed for them or, you know, took it up, you know, the next morning with, the, with God during our prayer time? Or how many of us just simply said, yeah, I'll be praying for you? Praying emoji. And never uttered their name before God. Why am I bringing all of this up to you? Because ultimately, Jesus can judge all of these things because he knows the strength for which he has provided in your life. He knows the capacity and the ability with which he has poured into your life. And he knows the measure of which you give it back to him. He sees every single part of it. Ultimately, he is the one that can judge those things. And so the third part of this definition of strength is actually this other word, dunamis. Dunamis. In the New Testament, this is a Greek word. It's translated into the word power. It's translated into that word power. The source of English, you know, you know, English word, it means dynamic and dynamite, both which are associated with power. In addition to that, dunamis can also be translated to mighty works, and wonderful works. 
And so what Jesus was saying for us when, to love him with all of our strength, he's saying to love him with all of the strength that he has provided you. With all of the power and the ability that he has given to you from his life. How many of you know that the same power and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is what lives inside of us? Yes? It's the very same thing that raised Christ from the dead, church. This is no easy task. Because last time I checked, every other religious person or every other prophet or every other king or every other person that called themselves a God in this world is still dead. But Jesus is the only one that is alive and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And so that power with which he has provided into your life, that same power, the Bible says, that exerted, it forced Christ out of the grave and it raised him up back to life is what lives inside of your life. It's why you are born again. It's the most powerful thing that this world has ever seen and witnessed. It is the very same power with, with which in Acts chapter 1, he asks us to witness for him. He said, and this power will come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And this power will come upon your life. It's the very same power that he mentions in Acts chapter 10. He talks about that power that makes the demonic flee. It tears down the principalities of darkness. God is all powerful. Did you know that? And the Holy Spirit is all powerful, church. And guess what? That power comes through his name, the Holy Spirit. But the question that I have for some of you tonight is this, is do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you know the Holy Spirit? Or are you operating in trying to love God with your own strength? Are you operating in such a way that you're trying to love God and please God simply by your own strength? Or are you relying on the power of the Holy Spirit? There was a people in the book of Acts that had accepted the word of God. They had believed in Jesus. They had believed in what it is that he had, you know, what the scripture had taught about him and what it said that he had done. But here's the deal is they did not have the Holy Spirit. It is possible to believe in Jesus. It is possible to confess him as Lord. It is possible to even read the word and know the word and not possess the Holy Spirit. How do I know this? Let's prove it. Acts chapter 8 and verse 14 says this. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that, there may, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17 says, Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So loving and serving and seeking God can only happen through God's strength to do so. Amen. Loving him well and serving him well and worshiping him well can only happen when we do this with the strength that Jesus has provided. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 29 says this. He gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. 
I love that verse that says that he has given us everything for life and godliness. If the Bible, if Jesus is asking us to love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, then guess what? Jesus would never ask us to love him in such a way that he had not already provided for us. Amen. He's given us the Holy Spirit. So he's not asking us to love him in such a way that we are unable to do, but he's asking us to love him from that place. Verse 30 says, in Isaiah 40, verse 30 says, even youths grow tired and weary. It says, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. You see, the strength that God provides is renewable. Amen. It says they will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run, and they will not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. Psalms 18 and verse 32 says this, It is God who arms me with strength, and he keeps my way secure. David, the, you know, the, the King David, he penned down these words that were so, so powerful. He pens down these words at a time where he needed great Great strength from the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I've been in moments where I was really weak. And I needed God to just infuse strength in my life. Uh, has, has anybody else ever been there? You've needed the Lord to just give you strength because you felt like you could not carry on another day. And in Psalms chapter 59, verse 16, David says this. He says, I will sing of your strength in the morning, I will sing of your love. He says, for you are my fortress. You're my refuge in times of trouble. He said, you are my strength. I sing praises to you, God. He said, you are my fortress, my God, on whom I can rely. When David writes these words down, when David is, is uttering these words from his heart and from his life, there had been a, a commission from King Saul. They had been a band of men that were sent to watch over his house day and night, seeking for an opportunity to kill this man. In the most real moment when David needed strength, in the most challenging moment when it was a life or death situation. The Holy Spirit encourages David's heart and lets him remind him and it brings him back to that place where he says, I will sing of your strength. I will sing of your strength for you are my fortress. I know that there's men out there trying to kill me and trying to take my life right now, but you are my fortress, God. You are my hope. You are my refuge. You are the one that I, I, I look to in times of trouble. David knew ultimately that the strength of his life was his God. He knew it was God in whom he had trusted church. The apostle Paul was writing from a prison cell and he was being in a dungeon and he was wrapped in chains and he was bound for, for you know, moments in, in, in months and days upon time. And we see in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, he said this, I am not saying this because I am in need. He says, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. He said, and I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, 
whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Verse 13, he says this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who strengthens my life. I can wake up and face another day even if people chastise me for believing in Jesus. I can wake up and serve God with vigor, with with passion in my life, with, with everything that I have because I know the one who is strengthening my life. I can go on and on and on and I may look crazy to some people because they may not know where I get my strength from, but I can continue on day after day trusting in the Lord because of the strength that God alone has provided for my life. You see, I don't know about you, but I've been weak many, many times in my life. And every time that I have ever been weak, every time that I've ever been challenged in my faith, every time that I've ever been challenged to love God well and to serve God well, all those things, I have found the secret, and that is this, is to never rely on my own strength and to always rely on His. Because the Bible clearly says with, with man there's a lot, not a lot of things that are, that are possible, but with God all things are possible. And serving Jesus and loving Jesus and, and giving your heart and your life and surrender is always possible through him who strengthens your life. And so maybe somebody in this place needs strength right now to love him and to serve him and to seek after him well. Maybe you need strength to endure some trial that you are facing or some situation that is before you. No matter what you need, Jesus has already provided it for you. Jesus has already made a way. The Bible says that everything for life and godliness has been given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus gave his life upon the cross and he, he died and he surrendered his life, there was this transaction of power that became available to the children of God through the spilling of his blood that not only forgave our sins, but gave us the authority to walk in Jesus. Gave us the authority to live as children of God, as heirs of God in this dying world. James Bryan Smith said this, Most of us live with the false narrative that strength is found in domination and in control. He said, but these are not the highest forms of power. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. God's power, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. He says, the power of the seed emerges only when the seed dies. And the power of God is demonstrated all the more clearly on the cross. I say this tonight because maybe some of you are weak or tired or challenged. But maybe tonight you need to admit that you're weak to serve him well. Maybe you need to admit that you're not strong enough to love him well without him. 
Maybe tonight we need to say, you know what, Lord, without you, I can't do this. Without you, Jesus, without relying on you, without believing in you, without placing all of my hope and my faith and my trust in you, Lord, I need you, Father, to love you well. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.